Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cleared for Takeoff. I'm your host, Gavin Rice, and I want to share what I've learned in aviation both on the job, off the job, and what I've encountered everywhere in between. It's been a, a fairly quiet week on the reserve grid, so I, I thought I'd dive into another system, uh, another aircraft system, and explore how it works. Have you ever taken a minute to think about how an airliner is able to slow down on landing? Well, in this episode, let's let's unwrap how multiple systems come together to bring a huge hunk of metal from 160 miles an hour or faster down to a safe taxi speed to then vacate the runway. So the main thing that we use, which should be fairly obvious, are brakes. And just like in your car, this is a, a clamping force on brake pads that are, are attached to the, uh, the axles of the wheel and then can slow the wheel speed down, thus slowing the entire aircraft down. Additionally, we have a couple other components as well. We have reverse thrusters and ground spoilers that also help us slow down. Now, all these systems are powered by hydraulics, which uh, allows us to take a, a very small control movement in the flight deck and apply a massive force where we need it on whatever system we're controlling. So what are hydraulics exactly? Well, let's, let's start with the, the word of hydraulics. Hydraulics literally means the movement of liquids, which is why you've probably heard of hydraulic fluid, which is the fluid from a hydraulic system. And, and the reason we use fluid is, is because it's, it's mostly a, an incompressible fluid unless you really use insane forces. For the most part, we can't compress a fluid. And so what this allows us to do is apply pressure on one location to create a force. And because of the preservation of pressure and volume within a closed container, that force can be exerted and multiplied elsewhere. And uh, that's referred to, to using mechanical advantage, kind of just like how you use a pulley to pull something up you know, with a rope that goes back and forth a couple times over a, a wheel block. Uh, you're using mechanical advantage to make the, the force that you apply at one end exert way more force on the other end. And in terms of hydraulics and, and regarding uh, our ability to, to take advantage of, of this mechanical advantage, what we're using is referred to as Pascal's principle. And to word it exactly how NASA defines Pascal's principle, uh, in, in quotations, Pascal's law states that when there is an increase in pressure at any point in a confined fluid, there is an equal increase at every other point in the container, end of quote. And so the, the container in this instance is the hydraulic system. Uh, and there's this really neat relationship between force and pressure and area that makes this all work. In fact, there's, there's a, a pretty simple equation for, for this, for pressure. And pressure is just simply equal to force times area. In other words, the amount of pressure felt is determined by the size of the object we are applying the force to. So if you're pressing your hand down on a table, right, you're, you're taking your hand and you are applying it uh, down force, and the pressure felt is the relationship between the force you are applying and pushing down on the table and the surface area of your hand that is pushing down on that table. So that's just, just a small example to kind of help give a, a visual aid to it, because it can be hard to to sort of visualize this over a podcast instead of a, of a video. 
Now that analogy is, is kind of two dimensional, so to speak, because we're, we're talking about one surface and, and pressing down on it, right? So in order to apply Pascal's principle to what we're talking here with hydraulics, the, the one thing that's really interesting is with that closed container concept, right? Volume is constant and therefore pressure will equally transfer to another point in the container as, as stated from uh, Pascal's principle. So we can bring that equation of pressure equals force times area and apply it to Pascal's principle. So what we can say is that pressure one will equally transfer to another one, to another uh, container. So equals pressure two. So pressure one equals pressure two. And regarding the force and the area, force one applied to one area is equal to force two applied to the second area. Now that this might, again, this might sound a little bit confusing and, and it certainly was the first time that I, I learned about it. So let's try and, and visualize, given that I'm talking to you, let's try and visualize how this applies to the, uh, the hydraulic principle. So, it, and, and it really just boils down to the mechanical advantage, which I, I uh, was talking about earlier. So again, in a closed container, uh, we'll use the example of a cylinder, because that's, that's generally what uh, hydraulic systems have, are, are cylinders um, that, that house a bunch of the fluid. Uh, volume is constant in that cylinder, and so any change in pressure and forces have to go somewhere. And in this case, uh, the end of the system that we want to apply the work. So we'll go from one cylinder to the next and it'll be connected by one thin line so we'll move that volume from one place to another. So let's let's take a cylinder of liquid that has one square inch of area and we'll call this cylinder one. And at the bottom of it, uh, of this cylinder, there's a line that's connected to a, a bigger cylinder next to it that has a 10 inch area. And when I say area, I mean the the cross-sectional area, so to speak. So again, cylinder one is, is a small one with just one square inch of area. It's connected by a line to cylinder two, which has a, a 10 inch, uh, 10 square inch area, uh, cylinder two. So essentially we, we have these two tubes, these two cylinders standing upright next to each other, uh, one larger than the other, and then they're, they're both connected at the bottom by a line so that fluid can move freely between the two. Now again, cylinder one is just one square inch of area and cylinder two is 10 square inches of area. So if that math was done correctly, which I believe it was, it's safe to say that cylinder two has 10 times the area of cylinder one. Now with that in mind, let's take a, a stopper cork of sorts, uh, which in this case, we'll, we'll probably call it a piston and we'll push uh, one pound of force down on cylinder one with that, that stopper cork, that piston. So there, there's some fluid filled in cylinder one, and we're gonna press down one pound of force on top of that cylinder one, which again has that one square inch of area. On cylinder two, there's also a stopper cork just, just there keeping the fluid contained. Uh, within the, the vessel, again, the, the whole hydraulic system, right? The key thing that makes this whole thing work is that it's all contained. So we're not letting any fluid get out in any way. So if we push one pound of force onto the small cylinder, that fluid has to go somewhere, right? We're, we're, we're creating a negative area, right? The, the, the fluid has to go somewhere. So it's gonna go 
through that tube in the bottom and go into the larger 10 inch area cylinder two. Now let's say, okay, the one pound of, of force that we apply into cylinder one, how much are we moving uh, the piston? We're gonna move it 10 inches. So over this smaller tube, cylinder one, we're applying one pound of force which will move the fluid 10 inches in terms of the distance that the fluid is moved. So there's still a little bit of fluid left in that, that first cylinder, but we're gonna move it 10 inches out. When that 10 inches of fluid, and, and again, the, t the 10 inches of fluid is, is referring to the amount of distance that fluid is moved on cylinder one. When that fluid gets forced into the small little tube connecting to the larger cylinder, that 10 inches is not going to move the larger cylinder up 10 inches because as we just discussed before, cylinder two has a larger area, 10 times the area, right? It's, it's 10 square inches instead of one. So it's not going to move 10 inches. It's only gonna move one inch actually. And that just has to do with the relationship of keeping forces and pressures all equal throughout the system. They have to go somewhere. And so instead of moving 10 inches of distance for the fluid, it's dispersed evenly, which is pretty interesting. It's, it's dispersed over that 10 inch, 10 square inch area of the larger cylinder, cylinder two. And so we started with moving uh, by applying that, that one pound of pressure on the small cylinder, cylinder one. We moved it 10 inches. It went down to the bottom through the little line and it came up into cylinder two, but it only moved one inch. So where did the rest of the, the work go? Where, where did all that force get applied? Well, now that it has 10 square inches of area, it created 10 times the force while only moving one inch. So the force applied, we applied one pound of pressure, one, or uh, excuse me, one pound of force rather, I should say. One pound of force moved it 10 inches. It transferred into cylinder two, and in cylinder two, the distance the, the fluid moved was only one inch, but we multiplied the force felt on that piston in cylinder two 10 times, so now 10 pounds of force was felt. And again, this all has to do with just the preservation of volume within the contained system, and that by changing the diameter of the cylinder, by effectively changing that surface area, the area that we apply the force on, something has to change in the equation because at the end of it, force, uh, force applied on the first side has to equal the force applied on the second side. And the pressure on the first side has to equal the pressure on the second side. So in order to change the equation, something has to occur, right? Because we're maintaining the same volume in the cylinder. This is, again, a little bit hard to kind of describe over a podcast. And hopefully, hopefully I've done it well enough where you can kind of understand the concept. But what we've done right here is that through displacement of fluid, you know, from, from going from the first cylinder to the second cylinder and changing the diameter, changing that force applied, the area from the small side to the large side, we are getting a mechanical advantage of 10 to one meaning that the force applied gives us an output of 10 times of the input, for, uh, input force, which is pretty neat. And again, it's, it's, it's a little difficult to describe. I'm probably not doing it the best way over this podcast, but 
you know, the, 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 the best way to understand this is, is using a visual aid like a YouTube video. And that's, that's generally how I, I came to understand the concept. But I, I'd first learned about Pascal's principle back in college, and I remember the first time it was just a little bit hard to, to comprehend. And I'm, <laughs> again, the way I'm explaining it, probably not the best, uh, but it, it just gives you an idea of, of how mechanical advantage is, is a huge component to how we're able to move these, these uh, control surfaces, um, in, in this case, brakes that we're talking about because we have to take a small amount of force in the flight deck and multiply that many, 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 many times in order to get the required force to apply on the brakes. So, so speaking of brakes, let, let's apply this to the brakes. So just unlike your car, in an aircraft, we, uh, we apply the brake pressure to, to come to a stop. So let's say that we, we press our feet with a force of, of 10 pounds on the pedals. You know, in your car, you only have the one brake pedal. In the aircraft, we have our rudder pedals, and by pressing both forward, we have uh, both braking for, for the right and the left brakes. So let's say we, we apply 10 pounds of braking force with our feet. The mechanical advantage from the hydraulic system that we just uh, described a, a second ago will give us uh, thousands of pounds of braking force, uh, which, again, you'll, you'll have uh, force applied on brake pads, which again are, are attached to the wheels and that allows us to slow down. So we're, we're taking, you know, let's call it 10, 15 pounds of force with our feet. And then that gets multiplied in the thousands in order to give us enough pressure to uh, grab those brake discs and, and, and slow the aircraft down. And like I said, it's, it's, it's the exact same principle that slows your car down. It's just amplified a little bit more with larger brake, uh, brake pad surface area, brake discs and all that, because it's, it's just a bigger, uh, bigger machine. You know, your average car is anywhere from two to 4,000 pounds. And now with an aircraft, even the, the smaller ish one that I fly at a hundred thousand pounds, I mean, you can just imagine how massive these brakes have to be in order to, to slow, uh, an aircraft down. And so what about the other systems that I mentioned? You know, we have ground spoilers and reverse thrust as well. And ground spoilers are trailing edge devices on our wings that deflect up when activated. And what this does is spoil lift. So when you deflect up, this separates air from smoothly flowing over the entire wing and thus spoils the wing's ability to create effective lift. And, and why does this matter when we're talking about braking? Well, when we spoil lift, the wings are no longer creating effective lift, and therefore our coefficient of lift is decrease, which thus allows weight to be applied downward. And if you're familiar with the four forces of flight, we have thrust, which is pushing us forward, drag, which is trying to bring us backwards, lift, which is bringing us up, and weight, which is bringing us down. So in this example, we are, we are taking away from the lift component and we are allowing weight to take over. And what this does is it simply puts more weight on the wheels. And when we have more weight on the wheels, we get more friction on the ground. And when we get more friction, we get more effective braking power. Because if we didn't have that, the wing would still be trying to fly even after we touch down and it would take longer distance for us to brake. But because we spoil some of that lift, more weight is immediately transferred into the ground or, or towards the ground. And so then our, our friction, our, our friction is, is more 
uh, so our break our breaking effectiveness has increased and and again that will allow us to use less pavement to, to come to a stop it becomes more effective and in most modern airliners those those ground spoilers are deployed automatically uh, because the the flight control computers know when to deploy uh, these ground spoilers based on weight on wheels sensors so as soon as we touch down uh, within a second or two uh, the, the the ground spoilers will will deploy will deflect up and help us with our braking but what if we we touch down and it's been maybe one second since touchdown and all of a sudden you know we see a, a deer or something something down on the uh, on the other end of the runway which we're, we're thinking is gonna you know get in the way of us coming to a, a safe spot and we've still got plenty of speed right so we decide you know what we're gonna take off again but we have these ground spoilers that are, are deflecting up well when we advance the throttles for a, a takeoff power setting those ground spoilers will be uh, stowed automatically because the computer will say oh uh, looks like the pilots are looking for a takeoff thrust, so let's do, let's uh, stow those so that the the wing will regain that effective lift to be able to take off again. Uh, in in older airliners, you would have had a, a mechanical lever that uh, you would pull for the the ground spoilers, and in the go around, your flow would would include you know uh, powerful and then stowing those those uh, ground spoilers. But we don't have to do that in a lot of these modern planes because there's so many computers that help us do that for us. But that's just a, an example of, of what would happen um, to the ground spoilers if, if we decided to abort the landing. But let's say that we are committed to the landing. What else do we have? We also have thrust reversers. So once we get those weight on wheels, we you know the ground spoilers will, uh, in the case of a modern jet, will automatically uh, deflect up. And we can also deploy our reverse thrust. And in, in the flight deck, uh, each aircraft's a little bit different, but uh, at least on the Embraer, it's these two triggers below the main handle of the throttle, uh, and we, we kind of pull it up and then uh, bring the whole throttle body back down. Uh, I think the Airbus is a little bit similar to that. Uh, Boeings usually have uh, two separate levers that, that are connected to the throttles uh, that pull up um, kind of uh, away from the main uh, center column. So each aircraft's a little bit different, but there's there's some kind of lever uh, mechanism that, that allows you to, to actuate the reversers once uh, you have weight on wheels. So once we get those weight on wheels, we, we, uh, we kick it into reverse, as we say, and what this does is it spools up the engines to about half of their available thrust, but instead of throwing thrust out the back like it normally does all the other time for flying, uh, we use deflecting doors, which throws the thrust forward, or at least slightly forward. And a lot of jets these days, uh, an airliner specifically, have um, what's called cascading doors, uh, a cascading type reverser. Uh, and this kind of throws the air at a 40, 30 to 45-ish degree angle forward, but it, it still does help um, by, by, again, throwing some of that air out uh, in front of us. Some older style reversers are called clamshell style reversers, and they look just like a clamshell that's closing at the exhaust pipe. And it, it can throw more air forward, uh, but this, this means it's a little bit more violent uh, because it's so effective, has more moving components, um, and, and so the newer cascading type was, was adopted uh, to modern airliners. It's just, uh, I guess, in terms of you know, maintenance and upkeep, I think it's easier to, to maintain. Uh, and, and the clamshell, they're so effective that they throw so much air um, that, you know, debris and, and other things can get can get flown uh, forward in front of the jet. So these clamshell, or, or sorry, the, the, the cascading type 
uh, like I said, has been adopted and, and it's more common today. You'll still see some clamshell type reversers on, on many smaller uh, business jets or some older airliners that are still in service. I know there's a couple companies that um, still fly the, the Boeing 737-200 model and the, the 200s have those clamshell uh, type reverse thrusters. They're pretty cool looking. It's, it's pretty wild. I mean, there's these doors that essentially pop off the the tailpipe section and then they 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 kind of go back and then clamshell shut and so it's the same thrust that normally comes out of the tailpipe section but now it's getting deflected forward versus now uh, in the modern engines with the cascading type reverser um, there's a, a door that opens up and all that happens is that any of the bypass air, which uh, with modern engines, these high bypass uh, engines that take uh, about 80, 80-ish to 90% of the thrust that's given by the engine comes from the bypass, comes from the, the first stage, those, those fan blades that you see on the front of a jet engine. Uh, it'll take all that bypass air and divert it uh, forward through a, a little uh, diversion door, so to speak. So it's pretty unique how this uh, how the reverse thrust works. And the interesting thing about it too is that it's really only effective at the higher speed because when we're at a really high speed and we immediately deploy that reverse thrust, we're, we're throwing thrust forward and that helps us a lot. But as we get slower, the, the, the amount of work that the reverse thrust is doing for us, it, it just doesn't do as much. Uh, more force um, happens at a higher speed. So if we're late up in the flight deck, if we're late to deploy the reverse thrusters, they won't do as much. They're much more effective when we kick it into reverse as soon as we can. So to kind of summarize all, all the different forces we have required for braking, you know, we have the brakes themselves, obviously, with these ground spoilers and these thrust reversers, and all of these systems, all of these actuations come from hydraulic systems because again, it's, it's so much force that needs to be applied, particularly with the brakes. But, but even so with the, the ground spoilers and the reverse thrusters, it's so much force that needs to be applied that we need to have some sort of system that's able to handle that much energy, that much work. And so hydraulics are, are perfect for that. Uh, and, and most modern jets will have three independent hydraulic systems for redundancy sake. So, I mean, you might have one system that will control one set of brakes, you know, like the inboard set of brakes, one set of ground spoilers, so maybe the left ground spoilers, and then one thrust reverser, so maybe the right thrust reverser. Uh, and then if that system were to malfunction, that specific hydraulic uh, system were to malfunction, another system also has another set of brakes, so maybe the outward brakes, uh, or the outboard brakes, uh, maybe the right ground spoilers, and the left reverse thrusters. So the chance of something going wrong, or, or the, I guess I should say the chance of all three, or even just two systems, uh, hydraulic systems failing, is so slim. And that's why we have uh, so many of these systems, so much redundancy built in. And and the hydraulics, it, it uh, they're applied to to the primary flight controls too, which which arguably are the most vital of, of all the systems in the aircraft. Uh, in fact, each hydraulic system has at least one connection to the main three flight controls, being the ailerons, the elevators, and the rudders. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, this would actually be kind of a fun thing to explore too, um, where I could talk about the different flight controls uh, and, and talk about how they work and, and uh, which system does what. And, and again, every 
Every airline manufacturer might have the systems differently. Uh, like in the Embraer, we have our hydraulic systems numbered. And based on what I've heard, the Airbus has it by color. Uh, like they have the green and the yellow and the blue, I think, or something like that. So uh, I will be on the Airbus at some point. And so that, that'll be actually fun to explore and, and just kind of compare how, how each uh, aircraft's a little different. And I've got some friends who are flying the 737 as well. So it'd be just really fun to kind of compare all the different systems and, and see how things add up. But at the end of the day, an airliner is an airliner is an airliner. So there's redundancy built in. They're going to have at least three hydraulic systems in the event that one fails, there's a backup, and there's a backup for the backup's backup. <laughs> so it, it just goes to show how how important those systems are. And again, it, it's one of the reasons why airliners are incredibly safe uh, for all this uh, this redundancy that we have built in. And and unlike in a car, we don't have somewhere that we can just pull over when something goes wrong. You know, we have to fly the plane and, and get it down safely to the ground. And speaking of which, next time you are flying and you have a window seat near the wings or near the engine, take a look outside on the landing and focus on the engine cowl and the trailing edge of the wing. I mean, do you see the ground spoilers deflecting up right when we touch down? Do you see the little cascading doors open uh, on the engine cowling? And do you hear the engine spool up? And, and like I said, those actuators are all thanks to hydraulic power that helps bring us you know, over 100,000 pounds of aircraft from 160 miles an hour on touchdown to a complete stop, or at least to a, a safe taxiing speed. Uh, all of that leads back to uh, the, the understanding that, that Pascal had way back in the, gosh, I'd have to double check. It was either the 1600s or the 1800s, might have been the 1800s, but this principle, this idea that came from way before, you know, at least a couple hundred, few hundred years ago, uh, you know, if, if he were able to, to come to the future and, and understand that his research in physics is the reason why we're able to use these advanced hydraulic systems to bring a, a giant airliner to a stop. I mean, it's, it's pretty wild uh, how, you know, in, in terms of, you know, we go through high school, basic high school physics, and we learn about these different things. And it might seem so simple, but it really is, is quite amazing how it all works uh, and how we're able to to apply some of these basic principles from from hundreds of years ago to help explain how things work today. So that wraps up this episode of Clear for Takeoff. I know it was a short one, but things are, like I said, kind of quiet on the flying side. I'm, I'm just waiting to get called into work. So uh, the reserve grid is, is uh, doesn't have too much going on right now. So, But that's okay. It's just giving me some, some extra time, which is really important because I'm also excited to report that I'm moving which means I'll have some new space for a new studio room to have better sound quality. A lot of these episodes, you've probably heard sirens and lawnmowers and leaf blowers and cars going by uh, because the, the apartment building I'm in right now, it just has thin walls and you can hear everything that goes on outside. It's a little echoey in this room. I don't have the, the quite the, uh, the best sound uh, equipment going on in here. So I'm really excited to, to get a new studio for this to, to make my podcasting better. And then maybe, you know, given a new space, I might think about getting into uh, back into some videos. I had a, a series going on on, um, on YouTube mostly that uh, Flying Fact Fridays was the name of it. That was kind of fun. I just did these little short videos um, just talking about random little facts about aviation. So I, I might try and dive back into that as well. So we'll see. So that, that move's coming up soon. So some of these episodes the next few weeks might be might be shorter, um, but I'm still definitely going to try and, and get a weekly episode out to you all. 
Anyway, thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be back next time. And until then, as always, fly safe.